Hello everybody and welcome to the Words Over Whiskey podcast episode 17. I am your host Henry and joining me as always is my co-host Tom. Tom, how Hello. are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you Henry? I'm good, thank you. I've been enjoying a nice bank holiday. The sun is shining. It's been quite a mixed a mixed May, so to have a to have some sunshine on a bank holiday is really rather nice. Speak for yourself, I've been at work. <laughs> Stuck inside. <laughs> Without a single uh, customer in sight. Just the way I like it, actually. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Oh, well. You can relax and unwind now with a good glass of whiskey. So, yeah. Yes. At least, at least you can enjoy the end of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And at least I've got the rest of the bank holiday off. Speaking of the whiskey, though, can we move on to it? Because I am looking forward to this one. Yes. So, today, we are going with a bit of peat. We are trying the Connemara peated single malt Irish whiskey and according to the box that it comes in it claims to be quite unique among Irish whiskies and it claims to be the only the only one, one of its kind doesn't it only one of its kind and I have I, I did do a very quick search before the uh, podcast and I couldn't I could not find another peated Irish whiskey so quite possibly the claim is right maybe if I did a bit more digging rather than a quick two-minute search beforehand I might have come across something but as far as I'm aware their claim is true so I have to admit it's been a well, while as you know I really like peated whiskies so I'm looking forward to this I know you're you're kind of the opposite side of the spectrum to me I kind of prefer ones which aren't dominated by smoke and peat whereas you kind of quite like the bite that they provide don't I you? do like the bite although I might just be me being typically contrary and difficult <laughs> so I thought this would be a good a good interesting one to try uh i'd seen it i think i'd seen it on a video talking about irish whiskies where they were trying various different ones and it wasn't one i'd heard of and the fact that it was a peated one sounded quite uh, quite interesting so hence why i suggested it and thought ah just got a bit of peat uh tom would probably quite like that and give fancy giving that a go so here we are Yes, I'll I'll dispense with the jargon of the from the back back of the box. I won't won't bother with that. But so we'll just jump straight into the tasting. You good to go? I've already poured it. I'm oh, sorry, Henry. I can't wait. Don't worry. I'm gonna do a nice bottle open. Very satisfying. Oh, that was quite, you, you did you did quite well on yours. You did well on yours. I I I couldn't get my cork to do a nice pop. Yeah, I kind of like uh, at the top. It kind of looks a, a bit like a, almost a bit like a gold coin, doesn't it? It looks like a bottle cap, in my opinion. <laughs> almost expected beer to come out. Uh, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, uh, yeah, kind of like almost like a golden bottle cap. But it's... Golden bottle cap. Oh, yes, I can smell that peat even before I'm, I've poured it into my mm. glass. You might regret this, Henry. Yeah. I see, I, I, I've, I've been thinking I do need to try a few more uh, peated whiskies recently, particularly like uh, a, a few scotches. Particularly some of the ILA ones, I think, would be worth me giving a try just to see if my palate's evolved and if I actually. I volunteer to, like... to try them with you. I volunteer to try them with you. Oh, how very noble of you! <laughs> I know, I know the sacrifices I'm prepared to make. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can. Right. I'm not even like holding the glass particularly close to my nose, but I can definitely. <laughs> you can can really smell it already. Yeah, oh, I definitely get um. We're well, even gonna pretend to taste anything else in the smell. We're just saying peat. Yeah, you definitely can. Hundred percent peat. To me, it's almost it's like peat, but it also as if it's mixed with um champagne. I think it's quite. It's, it's not. To be fair, I can maybe it is covering something. Hmm, maybe sort of the peat is covering. Maybe a bit of fruitiness. A bit of yeah, fruit. no, I'll take fruitiness. Fruit mixed in with the uh, smoke. Yeah, so that's the. It's not. It's definitely not unpleasant. That's actually quite a nice, smoky uh, smell. I'm looking forward to it. Cheers. Cheers. That's not as peaty as I thought it would be. Mm. I'm gonna have to try it again to kind of formulate my my thought on it. I, <laughs> I can't quite. I can't quite put my finger on what to say about it. Hang on. It kind of starts out subtle, kind of quite like quite smooth, almost like something I'd expect from like Tullamore. Uh, or other Irish whiskies, kind of like that—that that smooth smoothness that I kind of come to expect from them. But then, 
as soon as you swallow it, it kicks you. It's like a punch in the face, isn't it? Yeah, I can really feel it right at the back of my throat, like that kick of peat. It's, I have to admit, mm. I can already feel like the warmth spreading throughout my chest. It's, oh, it's, uh, this is like a blending of your favourite whiskies and my favourite whiskies, kind of like merged together, like a, like a meeting ground. The best of both, with the smoothness to begin with, and then the kick of the peat. Yeah, I find kind of if you if you hold it in your mouth, it 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 does have that smoothness like that I expect from other. I said like I expect from like other Irish whiskies they're quite smooth. But then yeah, as soon as you swallow it, that's where the peat kind of it really kind of kicks you at the back of back of the throat. It's not not unpleasant. It's very warming as it goes down. But again, yeah, kind of difficult to put my finger on a flavour apart from peat though. That's the. That's the, that's the shame. I think there might be some sweetness in there. I can taste a bit of sweetness. Maybe a bit of like fruit? Kind of. Yeah, some kind of citrusy sweetness. Mm, followed by the smoke. I think whatever ta- we can taste, we forget as soon as that smoke hits yeah, us. Yeah, that's the thing. We're like, oh, that's our smoke. Yeah, yeah, it, just, so... it comes, in, comes in quite strong. It's definitely, it's not unpleasant. I, I, I... Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I'm glad you made me drink it. <laughs> I say you make me drink it. It's not like I was fighting it. I don't think it's like you said. It's not as peaty as other other ones I've tried, but in a way that's quite nice. It's not like a, although it has that kick to it. It's not just like oh god. It's not like the smokehead where it's just overly cloying. In a way, it's not <laughs> too much. I like that. But yeah, I know I know you you do like yeah heavy smokehead and heavy peated ones, but. Mm. It's, it's it's very warming though I do quite like that it's very uh, I can just just feel the warmth spreading throughout your chest but what do you think overall Tom would you happily drink that again oh yes 100% if you recommended this to me in a shop Henry I'd be very happy with you if you were working there and you recommended it good good right are you ready for a bit of whiskey trivia oh yes so Tom hit me with trivia <laughs> I think it's well established on this podcast that both me and you are big lovers of story. Oh, story. I thought you were saying Dory. <laughs> yes, yes, we're talking about Finding Nemo on this podcast. <laughs> I know, I was getting very confused. Like, what does Dory have to do with whiskey? <laughs> no, story. We are Actually, both... is, is that why he's so forgetful? So he's just drinking whiskey constantly off screen? <laughs> no, we are not talking about Finding Nemo but... and we are not talking about Dory. I'm, I'm... Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, I can't, I can't resist. It's gonna say maybe that's why they call it drinking like a fish. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should both... go on with your trivia. <laughs> We're both big lovers of a good story. Now this bit yes, of trivia, definitely. I'm combining a bit of trivia with a bit of story. The trivia bit is the meaning yes. of whiskey. So the word whiskey comes from the Gaelic word, and I'm sorry that I will butcher this pronunciation, but it's Usis Betha. Uh, that is probably. Well, you've definitely made a better better stat than I would. A complete butchering of the pronunciation, I'm sure. But what that translates to is water of life. So whiskey is sometimes referred to as the water of life. Agreed. <laughs> it runs through my veins. <laughs> <laughs> now the story aspect is where this is kind of true. So, I'm sure, Tom, you are familiar with the story of the Titanic and what happened. Yes. So, well, this is a little-known part of that story. So, on the 15th of April 1912, when the Titanic sinks, um, the head baker on board, who was a man who goes by the name of Charles Jalpin, he was the head baker, and as the Titanic... When the Titanic hit the iceberg and began to sink, he everyone was trying to get on the lifeboats or they were panicking. Um, and he decided to deal with uh, the situation in his own unique way. Uh, so what he first did was he gathered his team together and they started distributing bread out to those on board the lifeboat so that they had food and provisions to last them and hopefully increase their chances of survival. He then gave up his own reserve seat on the lifeboats uh, to uh, some women and children to get extra people on board. <laughs> uh, he then proceeded 
to go to his cabin and drink as much whiskey as he could <laughs> as he could find. <laughs> so he was just there downing bottles of whiskey that he had kept in his cabin. After that, as the ship was still continuing to sink, he was running up and down the deck throwing wooden chairs into the water for people who were in the water to like cling on to and hopefully stand a better chance of survival. He then proceeded to stay on the boat right up until the moment that it sank. He then spent two to three hours in the ice cold water before eventually being picked up by a lifeboat and making it safely uh, to the rescue boat which was the HMS Carpathia. And it's thought that he survived the ice-cold water because of the copious amounts of whiskey that he drank. Hence, the connection with the bit of trivia that whiskey is water of life. Uh, some people dispute that it might not have been that, but the, as the kind of the legend of it goes, was that the whiskey kept him warm and was a contributing factor to his survival. Regardless of whether or not it saved his life, this lifeboat would have pulled this guy out of the water who was absolutely wankered on whiskey. Like, good news, we're saving your life. Oh, yes, great. Yes, all party. Well, apparently, uh, according to one source, he, he did not actually remember much <laughs> of the incident, but he had an absolutely stonking hangover. I'm not surprised. I am not surprised. My God. So yes, I thought that was... the casualty list. <laughs> All these people sadly drowned. All these people injured. Oh, and one massive hangover dude. This is... It's the fact that, again, that he just... he you, Despite having drunk copious amounts of alcohol, he still used his head. He was handing out provisions. He was throwing out these chairs in order to try and help increase people's chance of survival. And then he just had a good old drink afterwards <laughs> and it's just it's just well that's what we're training for henry all this whiskey or we're drinking on the podcast we're training so that when there is a crisis that we have to deal with we can deal with it while also taking the opportunity to drink all the whiskey available to hand i seriously hope i'm not on a uh, titanic like boat anytime soon <laughs> oh of course but if we were the thing that we know, the, we, we know uh, to rate part the of the ship first. that's most at risk. Sorry? If we, Hit the bar if first, we, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we were on the Titanic, the part of the ship that's most at risk is the bar. <laughs> not, not the passengers, not the kitchens, the bar. But I thought I thought those two, the little bit of trivia along with that story fit together quite nicely. So there you go. Bit of story time. We always enjoy that. So, Thank you for your story time, Henry. <laughs> welcome. So, Tom, usually this would be yes. the part of the podcast where we jump straight into what we've been reading. However, yes, I have a question for you before we move on to that part. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> and this, no, this is nothing to be worried about, but it just stems from... Well, I'm very flattered, Henry, but I'm, I'm, I'm not available. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not my type. So... Recently, uh, I was doing some spring cleaning of my bookshelves, and I was going through a bunch of like the uh, some of my old books, and I came across my old copies of Harry Potter, and it got me thinking that these were the books that started it all for me. These were the books that made me fall in love with reading, and mm-hmm. I remember quite clearly. It's the first book that I can really remember reading. I can't actually remember any other books I might have read before the first Harry Potter because I was not a big reader until I read the first one. Now I was in year three and it was my year so I think I was about seven or eight and it was my year three teacher who recommended them to uh, my parents to try and encourage me to read more because I think at that time I was struggling with reading. I wasn't enjoying it. And I I think my parents like they bribed me. I think they like bribe me with like a hot chocolate or something to they're like right we'll give you a hot chocolate with like marshmallows and everything if you just read like the first 10 pages of this book and I was like hot chocolate yeah I'll I'll I'll, I'll read just 10 pages for hot chocolate and so they gave me they gave me the first Harry Potter book and I just absolutely 
devoured that book. I would stay up at night reading it. I'd fall asleep with it on my face and everything. And I can't remember any any of the book any book I might have read before that. But I know that's exactly the point where I fell in love with reading. So my question for you is what is the first book that you remember reading? The first book that I remember reading or the books that got me interested in reading in the first place? Because they are different. I'll say both. Because Harry, Harry Potter... I will say Harry Potter is the book that I remember first reading, but it's also the book that got me into reading. So for you, what was... Firstly, what was the first book you remember reading? But then what the is first the book, book you credit with your love of reading? The first book I remember reading... I have quite a good memory, so I was very young at the time. And I remember the first book was a Thunderbirds book. I don't know the name, but it was about the about the Thunderbirds. Those Thunderbirds. Of course I did. Yeah. Of course I did. Did you have all the toys with the puppets. as well? Yeah, tra- yeah, I did. Did you, get tra- did you have Tracy Island? I did not, but I did have. I remember I had Thunderbird two. That was the big green one. Oh, I didn't have that one. But I had number. I had Thunderbird one. And I had Thunderbird 1 as well. I also had Thunderbird 2. But you know the middle can be detached to become various other vehicles? Well, I lost that. So it's just this big vehicle with the, the massive square part missing. <laughs> and it didn't rescue anyone like that. But I remember this Thunderbirds book. I memorised it back to front. Obviously, it's a kid's book. So it's not got that much text. It's mostly pictures. But I memorised the whole thing. I remember Thunderbirds... I can't remember Thunderbird 1. Rescued some actors who had been attacked by aliens, I think? I don't know. But they were going to be going to drown, and they were rescued. So that's the, that, that's the first book I remember reading. Not that I can tell you word for word what it said now. <laughs> but the books that got me interested in reading was a series... I think it's by an Australian author? They were definitely published first in Australia, I think. And it was the um, Del Toro Quest series by Emily Rodder. Which was later made into an anime, which I think you would really enjoy, Henry. I can't say I've so ever heard of it. Want to look that up? But what's, um, what's it about? But it's so there's a, a lot of short books for younger readers, and it's a sort of sword and sorcery type book where this group of friends they're on a quest to reunite the sacred stones to save their kingdom from tyranny, and so they've got to go to all the different places in the kingdom that has one of the stones, and they've got to do like a mini quest to get that particular stone. And I remember my um, friend in Australia sent me the first one when I was about seven. Oh, so um, you're very similar to me then. Exactly, and it had this awesome holographic cover. That, that so it had a, a big knight in ornate bronze armor with all these different carvings and gilding, and he had this huge sword. And he was on this holographic um, cover that he would um, be in a different position depending on what angle you looked at the book. So in some angles he was going to hit you with the sword and other angles he was a bit like pointed at you or whatever. And I was just like, this is amazing. And I took the score and everyone was like, oh, that's such a cool book you've got, Tom. And I was like, I've got to read this book now. Everyone knows I've got this book. I've known for this book. So I've got to read it now. It was so good. It was all the books my parents had wanted me to read were quite old-fashioned books. They wanted me to read books like um, The Famous Five or The Secret Seven, like books from the 50s that weren't even fantasy. So, as you can imagine, I was struggling. I needed fantasy. And I read this fantasy book, which had, to be fair, it didn't have much Tolkien inspiration. There were no elves or dwarves or anything. They were completely original creatures. And it was so weird and different. And it was just a group of friends on a quest against epic dangers and I loved it and many people will say oh I read Lord of the Rings and I fell in love with fantasy or I read one of the Star Wars novels and fell in love with fantasy or Harry Potter like you Henry but for me it's this lesser known obscure series but it's always got a special place in my heart so is that where you'd kind of say your love for fantasy novels came as well or were you like like you were just saying you didn't you didn't want to read like the famous five or secret seven but you knew you kind of want you liked fantasy was was that before you read the book or well no i I didn't realize it at the time but i wasn't going to fall in love with reading until i'd read fantasy fair enough 
I didn't realise until I read Fantasy that that was what I've been waiting for. That was that was your that was the genre that you really enjoyed. That that most appealed to me. Yeah. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. It was just a bit of personal curiosity, but I thought it made for an interesting discussion to see what uh, kind of kickstarted your love affair with reading. Of course, of course, it was going to be a fantasy novel. I could have guessed that, but interesting that it was one. Well, yours was too. True. True. But in, interesting that mine is sort of very mainstream, but yours was one that I, I hadn't heard of. This is very true. Well, Bloody mainstreamer. Talk... <laughs> well, talking about uh, fantasy novels, book that we both read uh, this past month was, again, was a fantasy novel, but quite different. Can I just say how happy I am that we've moved more of a fan... moving back to focus on fantasy books? <laughs> I'm very happy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> very happy when you recommended me this book. Yeah, it was it was funny because I'd had it recommended to me from someone else, and I think we'd had a, we were having a discussion about what um, to read next night, and or what we were reading. And you said, "Oh, I'm reading uh, the Poppy War," and I said, "Oh, no way! That was, the book, was gonna, um, that was the book I was going to recommend." So it worked perfectly in its way. It's almost like I'm psychic. <laughs> I have to admit, it because uh, it's quite different from other fantasy I've read. Because a lot of that, it's like dragons and knights, and it's very much based on um, a European background, European inspiration. They've got European myths, they've got European-style cultures. Yeah. Whereas this book is drawing much more from Oriental inspiration, particularly in terms of the mythology and the cultures and the language. It draws it draws heavily from Chinese mythology. Exactly. And history. Mm. After bit, I really, really enjoyed this book. It I really enjoyed it as well. It went quite a few unexpected ways I did not anticipate, but so the, the pre the a short premise of the book without spoilers is that it's based off of or it's inspired by Chinese mythology and shamanism. And history. And yeah, and, and, and the main character called Rin, she ends up joining a military academy to train to become an officer in their their country's army. But as she is being taught, she starts to learn about shamanism and the hidden uh, sort of world of the gods. Like a lot of people in this country don't believe in the gods or don't believe that they have any impact, and through her studies and sort of her journey she begins to uncover more about the gods and their sort of connect connection to shamanism and the story kind of progresses from there but it it, it was it was darker than i thought it was going to be as well it was quite uh quite a few um i knew it was going to be dark because i've read a review before reading it and the major theme of the poppy war is the horrors of war. So I knew there was go that if, if we wanted to show that, it was going to be dark. I must admit, it went even darker than even I expected, actually, now that I think about it. Even I thought it went, oh, okay. Okay, they went there once or twice. But I, st I, I think that worked. I think in the setting, I think that worked. Yeah, because I, I, I went in com almost completely blind. I'd had it recommended to me, and I knew it was kind of based off of Chinese history and mythology, but I did not know much about the book but you when you were reading it you said i think you'll really enjoy this and it's it's really good and i completely agree it was it it, it ha had me hooked from start to finish because because a lot happens in it there's trying to trying to avoid spoilers but it, a lot of it uh, a good chunk of the book follows her time at the military academy but then of course it's quite fast paced isn't it yeah. it's quite they get um, a lot done very quickly yeah, a, a lot gets covered, and of course, uh, as you can see, it's about conflict, so of course conflict does ensue, and a good chunk of it is taken up, taken up by conflict, but there's, there's just the um, sort of the combat as well. I love how it's described, because particularly in certain sections of the uh, bit where they're talking about the training academy, they talk about like the hand-to-hand -hand combat, and the different combat styles 
and just in my head I, it reminded me of like martial arts films and everything which I thought was really cool like you could you could it's just definitely you could, I think was the intention yeah I definitely think that was the intention but you, I, I felt like I could picture it so well and I, I thought that was just testament to uh, her writing that you could you could picture perfectly what was going on even like later on where they're talking about the the war and as you said it does talk about the horrors of war and you can you can imagine it quite vividly in its way and it it does impress upon you like how dark combat can become at times exactly but what i'll also say is one of my particular favorite parts was the magic system so i think we'll, we'll say it was very original it, it was i haven't seen anything like that before no, i'll say we're, we're gonna we'll stray we're gonna stray into spoiler territory here now um yes which yes is a bit, it might be spoilers uh, say before that gr- great magic system like you said haven't never seen anything or read anything like that like this system beforehand i love the originality of it i thought it was very well crafted so yeah that was a good bit but uh, yes going into spoilers i loved how it's the their powers are they, they have to take like psychedelics to to connect them to the gods to then be able <laughs> to draw out their powers which i thought was really interesting the fact that it gradually begins to corrupt them but it, it can't kill them. They're... Not just the psychedelics, but the actual power itself yeah. will corrupt them in the end. It's, and the fact that they, in a way, they become like a conduit for the destructive force of the gods. But even and if they get to such a corrupted state, they become almost like a uncontrollable demigod in a way. Exactly. And they have to be locked away yes, that... in this supernatural prison. Yes. Could you imagine... Uh... The bit where they go to try and free some of them to get them to help in the war. Could you imagine if they... Uh, I was going to say, oh, blimey, they can't be spending the next book trying to mop up all, everyone if they release them, but it was only the only the one who got released. Spoiler alert. We did put a spoiler warning beforehand. Yes, we did, didn't we? <laughs> but, um, yeah, can you imagine being shut up in stone mm. like them for however long it takes? Well, they said, they, they were talking about it, they said... Of course, they were like from several empires ago that some of the people had been there. So centuries yeah. or more. Yeah, was, yeah. I, uh, my my only gripe with it is that they focus so heavily on the Phoenix God that I never really felt we got to know any of the others because they talk about sixty four gods within the pantheon and they only bri- mm. briefly mention half a dozen. There was like a boar god and a monkey god, a Phoenix. God of Shadow. You're right. I didn't notice it at the time, but they didn't. They didn't really. They didn't really have time for world building. We we saw enough of the world for the story, but I felt we could have seen more of the gods, as you say, of the different areas they're living before the war starts. Mm. I, I think I think the world, the background of the world building was quite good. Like with the red, where they were talking about the previous poppy wars and the red emperor. And then the is it the trifecta? Is that what is that what it was called? Yeah, I think that's what they were called. Yeah, and the um, the criminal organization. Yeah, I I quite I quite like that. They 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 established quite a lot for them to then build upon later on in the future novels. I I really enjoyed the like descriptions of the hand to hand combat. I think the the magic system was so well implemented and really original i really like that um i think it definitely did cover the hor- horrors of war quite quite well and quite vividly but yeah it's it's also yes no no i agree it's also left like a few unanswered uh questions and i, I liked how within because uh, i was wondering uh, towards uh, the end of it i was like what how what are they going to set up for the next book and it it, it answered those those lo- those questions i had in the last 20 pages like ah okay that's what they're gonna do for the next book that's good i I also think the ending was quite shocking yes like how far they go yeah it's just like a complete complete destruction of another civilization yeah although i think that did echo uh actual world history as well like when when they were talking about the mushroom cloud over the buganese maybe think of the atomic strikes against the japanese yeah 
who the Muganese are bottled on. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, it reminded me also of a uh, description um, of the volcanic eruption. It reminded me of like uh, Vesuvius. And, um, yeah, you know, ha- yeah. Ha- having gone to uh, uh, visit Pompeii and where they, like, they were talking about like, bodies frozen in, pra- in place and like the mud flows and everything. It, it kind of reminded me of that. I was definitely getting Second World War vibes, but you're also right. <laughs> so yeah, I think whoever recommended that book to you, Henry, was very smart and they did choose a very good book. <laughs> Are you... I, I, I'd seen it recommended elsewhere and I've been wanting to try it for a long time. Are you going to be and reading the next it... one? Yes, although I will read before and after the next one uh, something a little more lighthearted <laughs> and comical. Maybe I'll break it up with some Terry Pratchett. <laughs> But I def I definitely really I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the uniqueness of of it in a way because it's very like you said the other a lot of other fantasies very European based and magic and dragons and everything. I I liked how this was quite different to anything else I'd read before. Yeah, I will definitely be reading yeah. the uh, next one at some point. Uh, I look at my very full shelf of books that I have yet to read, so <laughs> it's, it will be one that's a little later on later down the list but i'd definitely read the next one you need to stop buying books henry <laughs> or i just need to read a bit faster <laughs> or both <laughs> i think you better both so what else have you been reading so start of the month i read a book that has been on my shelf for a little while it's called wayfinding and it's basically about the science and psychology of how we find our way around how we as humans uh, as in physically how we find our way to work or whatever uh, how yeah how we or how you we mean physically psychological. find our way through like navigation and everything so it's started it was quite simple i walk in a direct line and i get to work <laughs> literally it's, it was it was interesting because it's it it's broken up into different sections it and it started with the the history of almost like language in a way like uh, how ancient civilizations and particularly like uh, certain tribes nowadays they would use they the language they use to describe the places they are going are actually used to help you identify where you're going so they would they would have a word for a location they're going so they they just they'd call it uh, like big hill with great great oak on top uh, that would be like the literal translation of co- and so people from their tribe would know where they were um but of course um nowadays with a very like a uh, western naming convention we call something like james's peak or simon's mount or something and of course people don't really then have an association with where they are um, it's just it's named after someone or named after it's less practical yeah it's less practical and then from there it then moved on to a chapter in like the the neurology of it so like how uh, different cells in our brains will fire at uh, different points when they rec- when you're in a place you recognize or if um, there are certain orientation certain cells in your brain that are, are specific to like being orientated to like north and south east and west and everything it, it, it does go quite it's kind of a bit difficult for me to describe it, it it sounds like way too much detail yeah it's 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 very science heavy so it did take me it's not an overly long book it's a, uh, just a few hundred pages but it's very science heavy it's very interesting and there's like one of the things that was described is that as humans we are very um drawn to like natural had drawn to like borders and everything so if you were to look at say like trafalgar square you would actually see more people on the edges edges of it than in the center of the square and of course if people are lost they're often found wandering along like hedgerows or along fences uh, because we're naturally drawn to like edges and borders and so there, there was quite a lot of uh, interesting stuff and it went through like case studies of people who'd been lost and how they find found their way or why they didn't um but a lot of it was quite science heavy so it did take me a bit of uh, take me a little bit of time to read through but i did i did enjoy it and then the other book uh, i read was 
uh, Ryan Holiday book, who I have mentioned a number of times on this podcast. It was his book. You're a big fan of his. Yes, it's uh, his book, Ego is the Enemy. Uh, I won't bore you with the details because I know you don't enjoy those, but I will say what I love about his books is how well he illustrates his points with uh, real uh, with examples of what other people have done. So he'll be discussing a point. Okay. But then he will give an example of what someone has done. Someone like well-known, either a business person, military person, a famous <coughs> diplomat, and he will, in that chapter, he will describe what they did and how that uh, emphasises the point that he is making. So, yeah, I I really enjoy his books. And it, it they're de- deceptively short in their way. It was only t- 200 pages, um, and you can you can read it really quickly, but you don't, in a way you don't want to you want to take in the message that he's trying to impart so yeah i get that i get that yeah i really enjoy um really enjoy his books and i've got a couple a couple more of his on my shelf in the to be read pile <laughs> but, uh, yes what about yourself tom what have you been reading what have i been reading well i recently finished reading a space opera book called the long way to a small angry planet by becky chambers and she's an author who is known for designing these amazing, detailed, fascinating worlds. And you've explored them along with these really interesting, really relatable characters. And so you, you essentially, you're exploring the world with them while also keeping up with their drama. There's no melodrama like Dark Lords or Evil Space Empires <coughs> Star Wars. <laughs> But there's just normal character drama, like, oh, so-and-so's dad has done such-and-such a scandal. Um, So it leaves you to explore this world while also enjoying this plot. Uh, And I really enjoyed the presentation of the alien races. So I sometimes get annoyed in science fiction where aliens are presented as being so ridiculously alien that if the book was to be adapted into any sort of media that has, oh, I don't know, a budget, it would never be able to present this alien because it's too ridiculously alien, almost to the point where readers can't even imagine what it looks like. And they wouldn't be like that. Or their society is like, oh, all these aliens are proud warriors, or all these aliens are cowardly traders. I really liked how these aliens were capable each one was its own character each individual was its own. It was just a collection of individuals like any race would be um it was described as a humane inter- interpretation of a futuristic society which i really enjoyed basically it's a breath of fresh air for me so, so what was the what's the premise of the book is it that these uh, aliens and these characters are traveling together so there's a multiracial crew of a ship that travels through space and it does a pretty mundane task of building hyperspace lanes. So they've got a normal job, and they travel a lot, but the crew, they all have drama. Basically, essentially, imagine a space opera in outer space with a mixture of different species, and they do get into danger. They are attacked, about describing spoilers, but it really is about these amazing characters who you fall in love with, and you explore the world with them. Nice. That's good. So it's kind of like um... I think I described I described it to you as imagine Mass Effect without the genocidal machines, <laughs> or everyone trying to shoot you. <laughs> so it's Mass Effect if everyone got on. No, because many people don't get on in the book. It's <laughs> Mass Effect if everyone wasn't armed. Uh, okay. <laughs> is, there, is one of the characters called Shepard by any chance? <laughs> no, but several characters do remind me of Femsept. I never, I never played the Mass. I, I did have Mass Effect Three, but I think I only got ever got like the first hour in. And I played a bit of the multiplayer with friends, but I never, I never ended up. I highly recommend trying Mass Effect One and Two because they've just, I just Mass Effect Two. They've done like a remaster, haven't they? A re-release, Legendary Edition. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe they'll um, reduce the originals so you can pick them up cheaply. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll keep an eye out. Maybe get round to playing it eventually. I do highly recommend because if you love Star Wars, which I know you do, uh, if you love other sci-fi franchises, 
you'll love this. Nice. Does uh, does it have a does it have a sequel or is it just a standalone the book? I think it's a this book is a series of books. Yeah, no, there, there, I think there are others. Where will you be reading? The I next don't know one? if it's a trilogy or more. I will be reading the next one, but I do want to read something a little more melodramatic, a little more exciting next. <laughs> I want to read about things that have stakes, high stakes. A minute ago, you were saying you need something a bit more light-hearted. Well, this was light-hearted, <laughs> but it wasn't as high stakes. <laughs> so I'm kind of fluctuating at the moment. <laughs> I need something that has a perfect mixture of light-heartedness and high stakes. Any, any other books? Any other standout books that you've been reading? I read one book um, called The Left Hand of God by Paul Hoffman, which sounds like it would be either quite a dark fantasy book, and doesn't by the cover of this uh, hooded monk with a sword, it does sound like it, but actually, all surprisingly, light-hearted. And <laughs> it's the depiction of a holy war had high stakes, so it was just what I needed. You should you should have read that one after the Poppy War and after your space opera book. Then it would have been perfect. Well, I read it right in the middle, uh, so it was perfect. It was perfect. It was exactly what you were. I, I, I it was, and I loved the um, simplistic writing style. Simplism, if that's a word, simplisticness. Really, I really enjoy Simplic something simplicity? that's not pretentious. Simplicity. Thank you, Henry. Um, I, I enjoy things that aren't pretentious. They just are functional and I love the writing style because it spoke to me on a personal level if that makes sense because of it nice well, what was the what was the premise so it is it is just a book about like a holy war or... so um, it's a book about a 14 year old boy who's been trained his whole life to kill who decides to run away from his masters and he gets up to all sorts of shit basically <laughs> and it's about his story and he goes through some shit. As you'd expect. As you would expect. Um, but I could never really work out whether it was an entirely fantasy world called a secondary world or if it was alternate fiction. Because although there's plenty of stuff that I didn't think would happen in our world, although no actual magic at all, there was also plenty of stuff that I'm like, well, that city exists. Vienna is a real city or Memphis is a real city. But it was never the seat of an empire, so I was very confused. So it's almost like a uh, alternate reality or alternate version of Earth. Yeah, but it was similar enough to Earth to make me question it, but not quite similar enough for me to go, yes, definitely alternate reality. I thought at any point someone might go, oh, I got magic, but I guess that didn't happen, so... Also, if I, I, was, I think I was, did present it like that, someone just pops up, hey, I've got magic. That would definitely be a very funny introduction. <laughs> what about the coming month? What, any books? What books? What books? Well, I'm waiting for you to tell me what we're reading for next month. Ah, now that's where I've, I've come up short, I'm afraid. I, uh, <gasps> I've... To be fair, I have, I have completely forgotten to think of a book for you Don't as well. Don't worry, I... I I think we we both have plenty of books to be reading at the moment, and uh, yes, <laughs> I think the ne the t next two books I am planning to read are going to take me quite a while. So I think they will see me through ah. most of next month. So without e even without a recommendation from you. Well, before we do a recommendation, my friend Dan recommended a really good idea. Oh yes. We could find a book that we that we've both read in the past, like for instance Harry Potter, reread re it and say what we think about it now. I'll tell you the perfect book. I think that yes, uh, Lord of the Rings, because I haven't read it for Ooh. I haven't read it for probably a decade. So yeah, I would, me too. I would be very much up for rereading that. I think I, I think. Yeah. So what? All three or Fellowship of the Ring? Uh, just Fellowship. We'll start with Fellowship of the Ring. Because. Okay, that's fair. Because yeah, I think it is. And then it's we can read through that, and we can both say what we think. Yes. And what Game Game of Thrones after that? <laughs> <laughs> How much time you got? Uh, the first one isn't too bad. It's um, I've got uh, I've actually got it just next to me on the shelf actually. The first Game of Thrones is oh, it is actually longer than I thought it was. <laughs> it's it's just a, <laughs> how long? Uh, it's about seven hundred and eighty pages. 
Oh shit. Yeah, longer than I thought. Okay. <laughs> I've got a full time job, Henry. <laughs> Alright, we'll do we'll do the fellowship of the ring then. If you're if you're up for that. Fellowship. Sounds good. Well, apart from that, have you got any other books that you're looking forward to reading next month? Um I haven't decided yet. We'll see how it goes. I've got every time I look at myself I see a new book where I'm, where I'm like, Have I read that? I don't think I've read that. I must read that. Yeah, you need, you need, um, you need to organise your shelves into what you have and haven't I read. I keep meaning to organise it and I keep forgetting. There you go, you can do it on your Monday off. Oh no, I'm going to be very busy doing not much. <laughs> have you watched anything interesting recently, Henry? Yeah, that's the perfect question. That's a good segue. Uh, Castlevania. <laughs> oh, I've seen it too. Hello. Oh, fancy that. So, season, season that. four. We haven't scripted this at all. No. <laughs> is it fourth season? I thought it was the third season. No, it was the fourth and final season. No, it is the fourth. It is the fourth, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sorry, season one and two kind of blur, blur into one. Because well, they're both quite short. They were only each about four episodes. Whereas the later... Oh, later, well, yeah. <laughs> later seasons were longer. That makes sense. Well, okay, so spoiler what, free. What did you think? Discussing first. I loved it. I love okay. that gothic vibe. What did you think? Oh, I, I agree. It was it was such a good <laughs> sort of finale and wrap up to the season as a whole, and just the the action, uh, the voice acting, the animation, the, just the uh, it just looked so good. And <laughs> Richard Armitage as Trevor Belmont is perfect. He's just so funny. I, I, I don't know what it, it is. is. I don't know what it is about the show, but like this, when this, when the characters are swearing, it's just kind of like that funny type. Of, it's like um, the cipher where she's like, she starts swearing. She's like, "You did this to me." He's like, "I did what? I never used to say shit and everything like that." And <laughs> now I'm hung- you turned me into a person who says shit. Yes, and it's like I've hung, I've hung around with you too long. I just and then the monsters are trying to attack them. She's just like, oh. Fuck. Off. <laughs> I'm trying to have a conversation. Yeah, she just obliterates them. <laughs> <laughs> she's just furiously swearing at anyone and everything. She's like, yeah, it's perfect. The characterization is perfect. Yeah. I just, I love the way she uses. I love the versatility of her magic as well. Just the way she is very smart in the way she uses it. Yeah, she is almost overpowered. I would say, to be honest. Oh yeah, she's incredibly overpowered. But I just love the versatility of the way she's like, particularly the ice, like where like they all these monsters have circled around her, and she just creates like this sort of almost like a blade saw of ice just spinning in a circle around her, and it just takes them all out. It's just I love. I think it's just really clever how she uses it. Like, there's so many other shows, it's just, ah, fireball. Yes, I chuck a fireball at you. And she's just like, I'm going to launch ice spears and then I'm going to throw, I'm then going to use the fire, fire as like a, to like fly me through the air and everything. And yeah. I'm going to use the ice as a platform to bounce off. And yeah. then I'm going to turn the holy water into ice and fire it at you. And then it's going to burn you while it freezes you. And, yeah, very versatile. But I also like um, I like Belmont's sheer skill. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like he has no magic, he has no enhancements. He's not a supernatural creature. He's just a really, really well trained dude with some good weapons and techniques, and he just holds his own really well. But also moaning <laughs> about everything. <laughs> Constantly complaining, complaining. She's like, oh, I'm so done. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm so done with this shit. <laughs> I am so fucking done. I wish I fucking kill you again. <laughs> I love that bit. I still think, still think, well, my favourite, um, I think, because I've been watching it, like, I, I, I went back and watched a few old clips on YouTube, and then, of course, the stupid YouTube al- algorithm, all it was doing was recommending Castlevania clips to me. And then one came up, which was from season three, and it was like, what the fuck is toilet paper? And I was like, oh, I forgot how good that line was. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that bit at all? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that season three, the judge. Yeah. <laughs> Saint Germain just goes, oh, maybe I want to, maybe I want to speak to someone who knows what toilet paper is. What the fuck is toilet paper? It's Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, so many, like, good quotable lines from the show as well. 
to be uh, and to be fair, watching that during lockdown, what the fuck is toilet yeah, paper? Yeah, I know. <laughs> While everyone was fighting over the toilet paper, it's like this is this is the future of mankind. We won't know what it is. Everyone will have all of it. Someone will have all of it. C- Castlevania predicted Corona. Yeah. Oh man, can we talk about the spoilers yet? I'm happy to move on to them if you are. Well, up to you, up to you. Is there anything you want to say for the pre-spoiler discussion? I think I've... So, should we actually say something about the show rather than just fanboying over it? Uh, okay, so for those who don't know, Castlevania is originally a video game that follows the vampire hunter Trevor Bellman as he seeks to um, hunt down and take out Dracula. Um, and they tu- Netflix turned it into a animated show, and it's really really good. <laughs> I think that kind of sums it up. That sums it up. That sums it up. Amazing Western animation, amazing voice acting. That's all you need, really, actually. Yeah, go watch it. Spoiler discussion then. Spoiler discussion. Spoiler discussion. I did. Oh my god, that ended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that plot twist coming with Varney turning out to be not not a vampire from London but he is actually literally the embodiment of death of death and yeah that that did that I didn't see that coming no, either that was a that was a crazy reveal and that final fight was just uh, epic epic like magical magical it just pure visually stunning and oh, so good so 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 good but... I must admit though, mm-hmm. when Trevor shows up at the end and falls off that horse and looks up into Cypher's eyes, I honestly thought he was going to say, beer. I honestly thought he was going to say that <laughs> instead of, hello. Just make a massive fuss about beer in season three. Like, he just never mentions beer again. I was quite disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another, I, I just like the, the Camilla, the Camilla fight as well. That was so good. Oh, that was good. She was so powerful. I think she could have taken on Dracula. Well, she she was kind of. I think in the previous season, she was kind of almost plotting to try and overtake from overtake take him, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. I also liked the. But yeah, um, she was very powerful. The other vampire sister, where she she what was it? She equipped her day armor, the, like the armor yeah, that, that was a good fight. The armor that protected her from daylight. And I was just like, she looks like a Dark Souls boss or something like that. It's just so badass. Yeah. When I saw her in the trailer in the dark armor, I thought it was some sort of creature under the control of the vampires. But no, it was actually her in her armor. I did, what I didn't get from that was like, why don't all the other vampires have that armor to protect them from like daylight? Well, well, if you remember from that scene, she calls for her soldiers to come out and help her, and they put on their normal helmets and pull down their hoods down. And as long as the sunlight doesn't actually touch their skin, as long as they're in some kind of shade, they're actually okay. Yeah, but the fact that her armour was basically near indestructible, why not just equip a bunch of the soldiers with that? And then they're not gonna be they're not gonna risk risk being exposed to sunlight and then fading away to ash because of it and they're a lot less vulnerable to attack. I assume if they could do that they would. I assume for plot reasons but that armour must be very hard to make and maintain. Mm-hmm. So I but yeah, I imagine if they could they would. As well, one of my only, I only had a couple of gripes with the um, season was, and those two vampire sisters, they kind of like seemed to just disappear at the end. We never really found out what. Oh yeah, the, 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 this sort of left. They were like, you know what? Let's screw this. Let's just go off and do our own yeah, thing. Yeah, we never kind of sort of found out what happened to them, and we never really found out who it was that. Um, is it Charlemagne? It's not Charlemagne. Um, Sa- Saint Germain. That's it. We never really kind of found out who it was he was looking for. We knew it was a woman, but we didn't know who she was or what she it, Has he fulfilled in that flashback scene? Yeah, but she never speaks, and we never really learn anything well, about Well, I imagine it's meant to be left mysterious. Yeah. I think it's meant to be left mysterious. I wonder if it's... Um... And she does speak briefly. Does she? I don't remember her speaking. I think I think so. No. But uh, I wonder if it's it leaves it open for a spin-off with her in or something, because she remains in the inf- oh, infinite maybe. corridor. But it makes me wonder like who she is. Um, yes, because she seemed pretty badass. Yeah, she she kind of reminded me of so, sort of like a 
Indiana Jones type of character, particularly like from the way she was dressed. She kind of looked almost like an archaeologist or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or adventurer. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, overall, just the animation quality of, like you said, the animation quality of the series as a whole was amazing. Voice acting was fantastic. Yeah, that ending, I did not see that coming at all. I just, I just love how it's, I'm fucking Varney from London. And then he's like, I'm deaf. <laughs> And you're like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you'd never see that coming. That was very cleverly done. The fact that he was a character lifted straight out of gothic literature and just kept repeating, I'm Varney, but actually he wasn't. <laughs> it fooled everyone. Yeah. Like, he was the only character who insisted, I am Varney, I am Varney. And so you were, uh, no one really realised, wait, he's not who he is. He's the only one who isn't who he says he is. Everyone else is honest who they, who they are. I just remembered another bit that I kind of feel like got a bit left open was um, with Isaac, where he took over he took yeah. over the vampire's castle with his night creatures, but then they never then yeah never really said what he was going to do after that. I also thought having the redhead vampire commit suicide was a waste, because the the whole dynamic between Isaac doing whatever the fuck he's whatever the fuck he's doing, Hector trying to live a normal life. And this vampiress who might be wanting to plot revenge or come to terms with a new situation will be quite an interesting group dynamic and have lots of drama and entertainment associated with it. I think if I think if they hadn't wanted to end the series, they could have taken that further. But I think because they were ending it, they were like, "Oh yeah, cut her off." Yeah, it's 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 funny because um in the season three, she kind of uh tricked Hector and kind of forced him to like serve them. Yes, and she she kind of seemed a lot more like sympathetic to him for suddenly in this season. He kind of seemed to have just forgiven her, and he's like, "Oh, it's okay, it's all fine." You like, like, yeah. To what? be fair, I thought he would be a bit more bitter. Yeah, they seem they seem to have somehow become kind of like quite okay with it and everything. They just, they seemed like overly kind of like chummy in a way, just friendly. But I was like, oh, I, I, yeah, it was what it was, but. Well, it has been six weeks, but still. But uh, no, overall a very, a very good series, a very good season, and uh, highly recommend people who haven't seen it to give it a watch. Anything else to Me say? Me too. Now? Definitely pay attention. Not much. Not much, except I really am going to miss it. Hmm. I think I think there are plans what for spin-offs or other sort of. I think there was like um, talks of a Devil May Cry sort of Netflix animated show which was somehow going to be connected oh. to the Castlevania one or something like that. But um, interesting to see what else they come up with. Um, talking of uh, like animated shows, did you ever have you ever seen Love, Death and Robots? No. Uh, it's a... I think you've recommended it to me before though. Yes, so it's... Uh, Funnily enough, a couple of days after the uh, Castlevania season four came out, they released season two of it, and it's uh, so it's a it's an animated series, but it's sort of uh, different anthology stories. So every every episode's its own story, but it's also its own animation style. So some are quite cartoony, others are quite like CGI CGI heavy, and then others even look almost realistic, as if like, it was actors. Uh, there's uh, one of the most recent. Um, episodes from the series it had uh, Michael B. Jordan in it and at certain point oh. yeah, at certain points within the episode you thought it would have just been the actor himself but it's it was him recreated in CGI with like face capture and everything like that that's interesting but um, that's very interesting yeah unfortunately I think uh, second season's a bit shorter than uh, the first one but I I highly recommend. I I binge watched it. I think I I finished it within two days. Um, but I highly recommend. Uh, I recommend it because each, each some of the stories you're just like God, this could this could be an entire series on its own for what they've managed to establish <laughs> within twenty minutes and you're just like ah oh, some of them are so good. A couple of a couple of others are a bit weirder and a couple are a bit like funny or a bit strange. But yeah, highly. Highly recommend checking it out. Sort of sticking along the animation line, have you been keeping up to date with My Hero Academia? Or 
I'm, I think I'm a few episodes behind. Uh, the latest one I saw, they just started the competition between Class A and Class B. Uh, okay, so yeah, you are still quite a few uh, episodes behind. Ah. Uh, I am up to date and no spoilers, but oh, it has got very, very good recently. Ooh. The latest, latest episode is by far one of the best and once you reach it, I can't wait to hear what you think. <laughs> well, I'll have to finish uh, and catch yes, up then. Let, let, let me know once you're uh, up to date, because it'll be very interesting to see what you make of it. Cool. Well, I think that kind of brings us to a close for this episode. I can. Yeah. Think... Is there anything else you wanted to say? Um, no. I think we've got uh, E3 uh, coming up next month, so I'm sure we will probably cool. be doing cool. what are you most looking forward to seeing from e3 if, if if i could make whatever you wanted happen what would you want to see in e3 uh, i have a few things i want to see oh. some Hor- horizon zero dawn forbidden west stuff of course could you do. just saw some of that yeah um at, at the what was it called oh the state of play yeah oh do do we talk about that or do we save that for the future <laughs> We can save that for next time, just just in case E three has more okay, details for you. Just in case, otherwise I could, yeah, I could gush about that for you know, <laughs> however long. You could gush about um, that for a I, long I, time. Yeah, oh, it it looked gorgeous. They showed off so many cool new things, new weapons, new machines. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't mind seeing some more uh, Horizon Zero Dawn stuff if they did, even though they have recently shown off some some stuff. Uh, God of War two, Ragnarok. I would love to see some stuff with that. I think that mm, uh, they might. That's going to be a while. I think they might release a teaser, but I don't know whether they'll be showing off any gameplay. I really want to see some Elden Ring stuff because that's the one that George R. R. Martin's involved in. Um, I told you the other day, if he is writing that, we're not going to see it for years. <laughs> it's been it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, is he even still alive anymore? I'm not sure. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Uh, He's just a zombie being like moved around for all the um, uh, Comic Cons and things. <laughs> and just left in like a dusty room. <laughs> and he's not needed. He's White Walker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the irony. Yeah. But I'm, I'm quite intrigued to see what uh, Xbox and uh, Microsoft are going to do now that they have Bethesda under their wing. I'm really intrigued to see if they're going to... I am worried. I am worried. My Some of my favourite franchises of all time, Elder Scrolls and Fallout, are going to become exclusives. I don't I don't think they will, because I think uh, they would receive massive backlash if they did. Uh, I could see... Just bete- not stop Microsoft in the past. I, I could see future IPs that they might make under Bethesda becoming either exclusive or timed exclusives. I think uh, I think Starfield has already. I don't know, but uh, I think like Fallout and Elder Scrolls. I think they would uh, they would suffer massive backlash if they said, "Oh yeah, these are now just exclusive to Xbox." I think they would they would isolate a lot of fans um, if they did that. And yeah, I don't think they will. But future IPs, they might do. But I'm intrigued to see to see what they might be uh, working on. And uh, yeah, I really want to see some. Uh, some more upcoming uh, PS5 titles as well, because although I haven't got one yet, there still isn't a whole lot of games. There isn't that much on there, is there? No, apart from some games that I could get on PS4 if I wanted to, but I'm waiting until I get on PS5 to get PS5 to play. Um, the... And some games which you really should only get on PS5 instead of PS4. <coughs> Cyberpunk! <coughs> um, yeah, so... Yes, I'm sure next next episode will be quite heavily gaming focused, or we might even do an extra episode focused on uh, gaming releases like we did last year. So we'll wait and see. Um, oh, that's true. Anyway, so uh, so we've each got uh, Lord of Lord of the Rings to read. Um, I am planning to read the next uh, Ken Follett book in the Fall of Giants series, which is Winter of the World. I am going to be reading that after I finish my current book. And uh, I've almost finished 
Tools of Titans, which I've gradually been reading through since the start of the year. So my next plan uh, is to read uh, Mastery by Robert Greene after that. So, Tom, what's what's your next book on the coming horizon? The next book I'm reading, uh, or the one I'm reading at the moment, is The Kingdom Beyond the Waves by Stephen Hunt, who is not your favourite author. Oh yes, of course, that's... Uh... Uh, court of the that's air. the author of the court of the air which is i think we've covered before the podcast yes. which might be the worst book i've ever recommended to you <laughs> although in my opinion one of the best but in your opinion one of the worst yeah i just couldn't i couldn't get on with it there was just so much time but it was interesting when you when i read the blurb of uh, of this one that you're reading now it sounded completely unconnected it sounded almost like a completely separate book entirely to the previous oh in terms of storyline yes it although it is technically a sequel because it takes place after the events of the first book it is its own self-contained story and will stand as a and will act as a standalone novel so the same series but it's effectively a standalone novel for all uh, effects and purposes so it's not it's not really a book two it's a kind of spin-off or no i wouldn't say it's a book two i would say um it, it's the same as those Gerber Crombie books. Um, Best Surf Cold, The Heroes, and uh, Red Country. Uh, how, although they're in a linear sequence of progression of time, chronologically, they are standalone novels. And although you do see characters from each book popping up, they're unco- the, the actual storylines are unconnected. I would say it's very similar in style to that. Nice. Fair enough. Well, if you're enjoying it, that's always a good thing. <laughs> yep. Good, good. I'm very much enjoying it. Well then. You would hate it. <laughs> too many too many crab people and random things going on. Oh, there's dinosaurs oh, now. Gra- oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Tom, you said that you have a quote for us to see us out of this episode. Would you like to read it I aloud do. for us? The quote is, The water was not fit to drink. To make it palatable, we had to add whiskey. By diligent effort, I learned to like it. That's from Winston Churchill. I was going to say, I think uh, whiskey would always make water a bit more palatable. Not that I dislike water, but mix the two together. Well, I think I think maybe he was saying how he had to learn to like whiskey with water, watering down the whiskey. Quite possibly. Do, do, you, do you add water to your whiskey, or do you add ice at all? Of course not. <laughs> If I need to cool it down, I use my frozen rocks. Oh, you've got the whiskey stones. I'm not going to judge anyone. Yeah, whiskey stones, sorry. I'm not going to judge anyone for the way they like to drink. I'm just saying that I like it neat. (laughs) Whiskey. You're a whiskey Puritan. Whiskey extremist. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) thank you very much for joining us on this episode, guys. We hope you enjoyed and I hope you have a nice bank holiday weekend although this episode will probably come out just after that um but yes hope you're all well uh we're almost out the end out of uh, lockdown so yes keep well keep safe and things are looking up yeah and uh, we'll see you guys next time thanks for joining us bye for now